Welcome to the Gut Connection with Brian Jerby, MD, where we discuss the connection that gastrointestinal health has with all of health. We review the latest research and interview the greatest minds in this rapidly advancing field of gut health and integrative functional medicine. Please keep in mind that this podcast is provided for educational purposes only and should not be considered a substitute for care from a licensed medical professional. This podcast is provided on the understanding that this does not constitute medical advice or other medical services. If you would like more information about Dr. Jerby and the type of medical care that he provides, please visit drjerby.com. That's D-R-J-E-R-B-Y.com. Now, let's get to this episode of The Gut Connection. Hi again, everyone, and welcome to another episode of The Gut Connection. I'm Brian Derby, your host, and we are now starting part two of our episode on small intestinal fungal overgrowth. And if you haven't heard part one You need to go back and listen to it because you might be a little bit lost if you start out right in the middle. But what we've been talking about is the problem of yeast and the failure or the refusal of conventional medicine to recognize it as a a problem. And then we're going over the literature and the research that supports the diagnosis or the presence or the existence of small intestinal fungal overgrowth. And um, we've talked about some of the predisposing factors, and um, we're starting to talk about the diagnosis. So let's jump right back into the episode and go. get a little bit more information about small intestinal fungal growth, fungal overgrowth. I hope you enjoy it. So this leads us into the next point about the diagnosis. We're not done with diagnosis yet, okay? Well, unfortunately, CFO cannot be diagnosed based on symptoms either, okay? Because symptoms of SIBO and symptoms of CFO are pretty much the same as a number of other GI conditions. So symptoms include bloating. That's a big one. Diarrhea or constipation. I see a lot of people with with fungal overgrowth that have constipation. Or it could be diarrhea alternating with constipation. Um, many people have excess gas, they have belching, indigestion, and other IBS-type symptoms. You know, in addition addition to all these, there there are are symptoms that occur outside of the GI tract as well, and you may recognize some of these as um, fatigue, headache, migrating joint or muscle pain, and, and indeed skin rashes. Therefore, as you might guess, as you might conclude from all the things that I've just said, CFO is difficult to diagnose definitively. Stool tests, I do, I do a lot of stool tests, but doggone it, they are not very reliable since these tell you more about what's going on in the large intestinal microbiome instead of the small. 
And in addition, it's it's really normal to have some yeast in the GI tract because remember it has a it plays a beneficial role. Um, so some other tests that might be used um, ad- adjunctively are tests like urinary organic acids that might be helpful, but again, not confirmatory. Blood tests looking for antibodies to yeast organisms may be helpful, but again, I don't think they're confirmatory. And I don't want you to get frustrated, and I agree with your frustration, when it when you start thinking about with all the advances in medicine, you know, in spite of that, we still do not have a good non-invasive way to definitively diagnose CFO. So, until we have a better means for determining whether or not CFO is present, uh, I'll give you my current very simple algorithm. Number one, maintain a high level of suspicion. Again, if you don't look for it, you're not going to find it. Number two, evaluate for signs and symptoms that are consistent with SIBO and CFO. Okay, look for it. Number three, if signs and symptoms are present, then obtain a lactulose breath test. Okay, that's that's going to tell you, if it's positive, it's going to tell you that a, your patient has SIBO, small intestinal bacterial overgrowth, or EMO, intestinal methanogen overgrowth. But it won't tell you if they have CFO or not, okay? It won't tell you if they have small intestinal fungal overgrowth. Um, if, the lact, if the lactulose breath test is positive, then treat the SIBO and reassess for symptom relief. Um, if they aren't seeing improved symptoms or they're seeing some improvement in symptoms, then you've got a couple of choices. You can repeat the breath test and see if you've made any progress. You're knocking down the hydrogen or the methane, for instance, that, that you identified initially. That's coming down. Well, keep treating. But if you repeat it and it's now normal, but they still have symptoms, then think CFO, okay? CFO or maybe some other underlying causes of their symptoms. So um, in that case, you know, if you're thinking CFO, then you could maybe, you know, delve into getting some other tests, including serum antibodies to candida, urinary organic acids test, and maybe even a comprehensive stool analysis. Uh, Those could be helpful in some cases. However, if the lactulose breath test is negative, go back to number one, maintain a high level of suspicion and evaluate for other root causes, including CFO small intestinal fungal overgrowth. And in my experience, this has proven to be a successful diagnostic approach and hopefully we'll have some improved ways of, of nailing this down as a diagnosis um, in the years to come. So if the signs and symptoms as well as you know some of your data points from your testing points to the diagnosis of CFO, 
treatment can be a game changer for a lot of people. I've seen it many times. And your primary mantra must always be treat the root cause, okay? Treat the root cause. The underlying condition that predisposes that person to have SIBO or CFO must be addressed. And it doesn't matter if you really if you address it before, during, or after treatment, but the point is address it, okay? Since failure to address the root cause um, is definitely a reason, a reason, not the only reason, but a reason for the high percentage of recurrences of SIBO and, and well, just SIBO in the literature. We don't have enough experience with CFO to know how often it, it recurs. But anyway, that's probably a reason for the high recurrence rate of SIBO. For direct treatment of uh, fungal overgrowth, uh, what do I use? Well, I use pharmaceuticals, I use herbals, and sometimes I use a hybrid approach, which you know, which incorporates both, you know, pharmaceuticals and herbals, either in combination or uh, one following the other. So some of the pharmaceuticals include a number of systemic antifungals. Um, antifungal medications, which include the well-known fluconazole, or uh, the trade name is Diflucan. Nystatin I use a lot of and, and is effective in many cases. Other options that I use a lot less would be things like amphotericin B, which we in, in medical school we also always called it amphoterable B because it can have some side effects. Um, uh, Sporinox is another one, and Lamisil is one as well. And, you know, these other alternatives may uh, come into play depending on whether the species it is seems to be Candida, okay? Because, um, you know, Candida is very variably, um, you know, responsive to certain... Um, antifungals and and other species that could be an issue um, may not respond to diflucan. So uh, herbal options include things like undesalinic acid, caprylic acid, allicin, berberine, oregano, and a number of others. But the thing to remember is that herbal options generally require longer treatment, um, but they also may, you know, kind of uh, also cover coexisting bacterial overgrowth. So it has its um, benefits and it, and it has its limitations. So the main thing to remember is that fungal overgrowth can be stubborn. So practitioners remember that treatment usually requires months rather than days or weeks. So the next issue in treatment that I want to talk about is the fact that I have a number of patients um, come to me who have, who, you know, from the get-go, they tell me, you know, I've been treating fungal issues with a 
um, what's called an anti-candida diet. Now, this is a diet that, in a nutshell, is a extremely low-sugar, anti-inflammatory diet, and it's quite restrictive. And unfortunately, since I'm, I like to have some data, some evidence for, um, you know, recommending treatments. Unfortunately, um, there are not any published clinical trials that confirm the effectiveness of the anti-candida diet. Okay. Now, research has been done on many other therapeutic diets, but the anti-candida diet has not been one of them. Now, I'm not saying it's, it's no good. I'm just saying we need some research out there, folks. Okay. In my opinion, it's okay for me to have an opinion, is that the efficacy of restrictive diets need to be confirmed by some degree of research because the potential benefits of, the, of a restrictive diet need to outweigh the potential risks. And in the case of the anti-candida diet, my main concern would be nutritional deficiencies because it means long-term restriction or exclusion of certain nutrients. Okay, so, you know, uh, since it like limits sugars, even even um, sugars that are in fruits and different things like that, um, it it really limits or excludes these um, because, you know, it's thought that sugar feeds candida. Okay, but. What I want to tell you is that there is really robust amount of literature that shows that Candida albicans, at least, maybe other fungal organisms too, but at least Candida albicans has a high degree of nutritional flexibility. What does that mean? Well, that allows it to utilize a number of different nutrients, um, you know, including glycerol, citrate, lactate, and it doesn't just use simple sugars. For the anti-candida diet, doesn't make a whole lot of sense, and, and maybe it would be vindicated if clinical research was done, but I suspect that since it's well known that hyperglycemia impairs the immune system, um, then the sugar part of it may just be that, yeah, if you, if you eat a bunch of sugar or um, a bunch of foods that are high in sugars, then it's possible that it could impair your immune system to some degree and that could allow fungal elements to grow relatively uh, unrestricted. So we know that's to be that's true in diabetics. Um, it may also be true in small intestinal fungal overgrowth. But I just wanted to kind of voice my um, my I won't say their objections, but my cautions to um, to you know just doing the anti candida diet for months on end because I think the risk of 
nutritional deficits is higher than the potential benefit for fungal overgrowth. So what I definitely advocate is, yes, limit or exclude added sugars and ultra-processed foods. Definitely. Okay? But I don't recommend that my patients go on an anti-candida diet with all of its additional restriction because I think they're unnecessary. And, you know, during treatment for SIBO or CFO, I instruct my my patients to continue to follow whatever diet that keeps their symptoms at bay. They know, okay? But, you know, uh, most people know some of their food triggers, and I encourage them to follow their gut instinct, and I'm doing air quotes right here, no pun intended, while they're, you know, while they're undergoing treatment. Then after therapy has been completed, what we do is we help them navigate through a dietary protocol which helps them to determine which foods their gut processes well and which foods do not work so well with their gut. Now, fortunately, what we find is that early on, there might be a number of foods that don't work well with their gut, but as we continue to uh, promote gut health and and promote healing in the gut and and um, promote a more balanced microbiome that there are a lot of these um, these foods that they weren't able to process very well initially after their treatment later on down the line they find out that now they're processing a lot better now they're able to add some more foods back and so that's very encouraging, very encouraging uh, to them that when they start seeing that their their dietary um, tolerances are starting to improve, and like I've said before, there is no one size fits all dietary approach, but instead, you know, each person has to find out what their, you know unique set of tolerances and intolerances is um, or are. Sorry for you grammarians out there. My wife has a a um, little button that she can pin on her lapel that says, I'm silently correcting your grammar. And if she were here right now, she would definitely be correcting my grammar. Okay. So, you know, to start to bring this all home to summarize it um, in our comprehensive approach in in our clinic we also work to optimize the gut microbiome as I said before um, as well as optimization of sleep stress management the appropriate exercise promotion of optimal vagus nerve function, enteric nervous system function. Um, You know, there are a lot of factors at play here, so a holistic approach is absolutely necessary. You know, I see so many people come in and they've been diagnosed, especially with SIBO, because SIBO is not recognized as a real problem, but they've been diagnosed with SIBO and they you know, got some antibiotics thrown at them and, and that was kind of it, you know, you're kind of get your antibiotics and if you're not better, you're kind of on your own. 
So what we do in those cases is we um, we see them, we reassess their status of their CVO or CFO, in the case, as the case may be, and then we start to address all these other factors that may be at play, um, you know, in a comprehensive holistic approach, which is absolutely necessary to preventing recurrence. Okay, so a lot of things to do, a lot of factors to consider, but let's just um, try to summarize by saying, you know, if you've been struggling with unexplained digestive issues, you know, small intestinal fungal overgrowth may be the reason, okay? For all the reasons that we previously mentioned. And if you think that, you know, this may be the case, it's definitely important to investigate this further. And I would recommend the help of a licensed practitioners. There's a lot of people out there, like I said at the very beginning, who are putting themselves out there as experts in the area who, number one, aren't licensed to practice medicine. And number two, if they are licensed to practice medicine or have an MD degree, they may not have ever actually treated a case of SIBO or CFO. They collected all their quote-unquote experience from the internet and from research, and while that is good, you can't replace actual experience of treating patients and seeing what their individual nuances are in their treatment and working with each person as an individual, as a unique individual, realizing that there is no one-size-fits-all approach. So, you know, if, if you need help in this area and you can't find a licensed pract- practitioner who is experienced in this area, definitely reach out to us. Our medical staff at Legacy Health are highly competent in this area and have loads of experience with uh, SIBO, CFO, IBS, um, gut problems in general, you name it, um, we've seen it. Um, so if you, you know, if you need our help, please do not hesitate to reach out and you can find us at drjerby.com, that's D-R-J-E-R-B-Y.com, or go to the website and give us a call at the number provided. We'd love to see you. And uh, I hope you wish you all the best um, for uh, optimal health. And so um, we're going to bring it all home by saying that's it for another episode of The Gut Connection. Thanks so much for tuning in. And if you get a chance, give us a a review, a a thumbs up on your your podcast player. And uh, hope to see you again real soon. Bye-bye. And that ends this episode of The Gut Connection. Thanks so much for joining us, and we'll look forward to having you back for our next episode where we'll discuss more gut-related topics and interview leaders in this rapidly advancing field. If you would like more information, please visit us at drjerby.com. That's D-R-J-E-R-B-Y.com. Until next time, take care, and may God bless you.